The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The Gospel today begins with verse 11 of John's 20th chapter. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you, had, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have conquered death itself. We ask, Lord, that as we look at that today, that you would renew our hearts and our minds that you would continue to regenerate and vivify and enliven us, Lord Jesus, to do your will in all that we undertake for your kingdom. Amen. Please be seated. We continue on with the phrase today in the Apostles' Creed, he descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He descended to the dead, that is Jesus. On the third day, he rose again. It's a matter of life and death. We say that when something has huge importance, don't we? And as we look at the creed today, we see that indeed this is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death, not just to Jesus, but to all mankind, to all people, to all of us, of all nations. But it seems like these two things are the opposite, doesn't it? What's the importance, after all, of Jesus' descent to the dead? Even the words are opposites, right? He descended, he ascended, or he rose, right? Going down, coming up. Why do we sometimes translate this, he descended into hell? Some of the older translations put the creed that way. 
And finally, why is this so important that it's in our creed? It's in the confession that we use at baptism. Let's look at that. First of all, he descended to the dead. While they seem opposite, descending and rising, they're actually the opposite sides of the same coin, and they're intrinsically linked. They're linked in theology here with what Jesus is doing. Question 63 of our catechism says, asks the question, what does the creed mean when it says he descended to the dead? And the answer given is that Jesus descended to the dead means that he truly died. His spirit did not remain with his body, but entered into the realm of death. You see, as we talked about last week, we as Christians believe that Jesus truly died. It wasn't a trick. It wasn't an illusion. It's not like Jesus somehow was removed and somebody else was stuck up on the cross as the Muslims think, but he truly died. He truly went to the place of the dead. His soul was separated from his body in an unnatural, ugly way. And that's why it is that people fear death. It's unnatural in the sense that it's not what God purposed for his creation. When we come across a corpse, it's weird. There's the body. Where's the spirit? When we come across a ghost, if we come across a ghost, it's equally weird. There's the spirit. Where's the body? Right? Even the concept is strange. The body and the soul are supposed to be linked, and yet Jesus truly died. There was the separation between his body and his soul. Where did Jesus go? on the cross after he died. Well, as the catechism says, his spirit did not remain with his body, but entered the realm of death. Jesus went to what's called the dead. It, in the Greek, it's only used twice in the scripture. The Greek word is katatata, which literally means the place of the dead. It's not necessarily good or bad. It's not heaven or hell. It's just the state of being dead. Jesus descends to what the Hebrews believed and called Sheol, right? Which was a place of waiting. The Greeks had a word for it too. You've probably heard it from mythology, Hades, right? Hades, the dead. Jesus descends to the dead, and it's not so much a place of punishment for evil as it is a place of waiting, which we saw in our scriptures today. You see, the ancients weren't so foolish as to think that hell was way down underground and heaven was up in the skies. We put that caricature on them. The ancients thought that hell was down because it was a lower estate. It was a place where things weren't as they were supposed to be. Even the pagan Greeks got that. That it was a less form of being. That we as human beings are supposed to be body and soul united. And so to descend to the place of the dead was to go to a lesser state of being. Of course, in the Hebrew faith, there was also this concept of Sheol and heaven, which is to be in the place of the dead, 
but with God. But we've got a problem. What happens to the people that die before Jesus' sacrifice on the cross has made them acceptable before God? You see, the theological issue is that all men have sinned, as St. Paul tells us, and fall short of the glory of God. All people cannot stand up in the presence of a righteous and holy God without the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And so, it was believed, and rightly so, I think, that you descended to the dead to a holding place, a place of waiting, a place that was unnatural and was you know, supposed to be undone ultimately. It's the place that all men and women before Jesus went because of their sins and because of original sins. Even the prophets and the patriarchs, even those that had lived honorably before God, of course, had committed sin. And so there they were imprisoned. They were Satan's prize and treasure. You know, if we go back and we look at the prophets and we look at Genesis, we see that Satan is the adversary. He's continually trying to capture human, human beings. He's trying to separate them from God, and he thinks that he's one with the dead. He says, he looks, you see, we see it, and it's, it shows that even the honorable people in the Old Testament cannot stand before God. They too trespass. They too sin. But Jesus comes and makes even that right. It's an ancient doctrine of his descending to the dead or descending into hell, an old English word that doesn't mean hell like burning, it means hell like the dead, because the English hell meant that also at one point. The old doctrine is called the harrowing of hell. Sounds like a good horror movie, right? The harrowing of hell. You know, you can picture the music coming on. Jesus descends down into the dead, into the place where those are imprisoned and captured by Satan and their sin. We see it in the first Peter passage. According to St. Peter in chapter 3, verse 18, he tells us, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water." So what's he talking about there? Peter's talking about those that went before Christ, that are imprisoned. They descend, Jesus descends to the dead and proclaims salvation to those who are dead in their sins and dead out of their body. The spirits in prison. Bishop Irenaeus, writing in the 180s, tells us that this is the interpretation of this passage. He says that he learned this at the feet of Polycarp, who actually learned it at the feet of St. John. Irenaeus of Lyon writes, The Lord descended into the regions beneath the earth, announcing the good news of his coming and the remission of sins conferred upon those who believe in him, that had hope of him. We also see evidence of it in Hebrew. 
in those that saw Jesus from far away and had hope in the book of Hebrews. Jesus suffered the penalty of original sin, being part of all, um, taking that on part, the part of all fallen mankind. And so Jesus' visit to hell or to the dead is a mercy to them extended because they could not know him. Augustine says in his Sermon on the Passion that Christ descended into hell, broke the gates, the iron bars of hell, and setting all at liberty, all the righteous who were held fast through original sin. And when Christ descended into hell, all who were in any part of hell were visited in some respect, both the righteous and the unrighteous, some to their consolation and deliverance, others, namely the lost, to their shame and confusion. You see, what he's saying there is that as Christ descended into hell, some people saw him and said, yes, he's the one, the savior, the one we've been looking for, for all time. And others said, yes, he's the one eternal savior we've been looking for all time and didn't want. So the righteous are led from hell in a procession of joy up through the earth to the right hand of the Father, and the rest are left dismayed and stuck in hell by their own volition, by their own choice. Did you ever wonder why is it in Matthew 27, 52 that the tombs are opened and the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, Scripture tells us? And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many. That's Matthew 27, 52. Do you ever wonder why that happened? It seems a bizarre thing. The tombs are open and these dead guys are walking around. Why is it? Because these are the holy ones ascending in a procession up to the presence of God. Can you imagine the sight They're free. They're finally free. They've finally seen the coming of the Savior. King David is in that procession. Perhaps quoting himself in Psalm 49, 15, saying, But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Abraham, David, Job, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all in triumphant procession, marching up to God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You see, there's this intrinsic tie between the victory proclaimed and the descent into hell. There's this victory march. St. Paul writes to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Who's that host of captives? Those that have been freed both in the past and now. In saying, St. Paul goes on, verse 9, he ascended, what does he mean but that he also descended to the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. So when we sang that opening hymn, welcome, happy morning to this new day, it's an Easter hymn. I know it's not a well-known one, which is why we picked it, because there's so many good Easter ones. But did you notice the words, hell's bars have been broken, the imprisoned have been free. 
Welcome, happy morning. It's a new morning, a new chance, a new start given to those that believe in Jesus. And we saw in the Lamentations verse, right? Who is it that is our hope when it's hopeless? Verses 21 through 26. It's God's salvation that gives us hope when we're hopeless. Verse 31 of Lamentations chapter 3. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Our portion is our salvation with the Lord, he says. But where is this salvation for the author of Lamentations? It's still far off. Where is it for Mary Magdalene as we read the gospel passage today? It's right there. Jesus is standing right before her. The way, the truth, the life, having come from the dead. Where is he going? Why is it that he says, don't cling to me because I have to go to the Father? Because he's leading this procession from the dead up to Zion, up to heavenly Jerusalem. Where is Jesus going? To take his victory over death to God. As we said in our psalm today, that procession goes on, doesn't it? I think the women said this portion of it. Verse 18 of chapter 68, Psalm 68. You have gone up on high and led captivity captive. You have received gifts even from your enemies that the Lord God might dwell among them. Captivity has been taken captive. Death has been killed. The sting has been removed because of Christ's death and descent. And the good news, friends, is that you and I have Jesus standing before us, have the salvation standing with us, just as Mary Magdalene did. You and I might not be able to see Jesus, and yet this salvation offered is there. St. Paul writes to the Roman church, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you see the promise there? Just as he led those captives out of death, so he leads you and me, if we have the Holy Spirit, out of death into life, out of darkness into light. The explanation is really complicated. The theology of this little phrase has got so much in it, right, as to what happened. And yet it means the world. It means life. It means that death no longer is the final say. It means that even though we will physically die one day, we too will take part in that procession up into the glory of the Lord, into Zion. That's good news. That's news of purpose. That's news of redemption and resurrection. That's news that we can take out into the world, isn't it? Not only does your life have a purpose, not only do people outside of the church's life has a purpose, but that God has given us victory even 
over that thing that we fear most. Even over that thing that we dare not speak about. How is it that we as Christians can say in our Anglican burial service, you are immortal, the creator and maker of mankind. mankind. We are mortal, formed of the earth, and to earth we shall return. For so did you ordain when you created me, saying you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Yet all of us go down to the dust. Yet even at the grave we make our song. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. How can we say that? Because Christ descended to the dead and rose again and goes before us. So we live as people of hope. We do not live as people that just mourn and have no hope. So it is that for the Christian, for you and me, we're able to rejoice in God in all things because he has set that purpose and he's given us a clear path to God. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? Isn't that worth telling other people about? Isn't that worth getting into those hard discussions with folks that think that there's no hope, that think that there's no purpose to their life? It's everything, friends. Everything for you and me and needs to be everything for those around us, our workers, our coworkers, our family, our friends. Isn't that worth sharing? It's a matter of life and death. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us the words and the courage to share with those around us the good news of your death for our sins and your resurrection in the conquering of death. Help us to be faithful proclaimers of your word. Help us to be faithful in grasping onto that hope ourselves when we doubt or when we see other things crowd into our lives. Lord Jesus, be our rock and our refuge now and always. In you, we are able to claim victory. Amen.